journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov and uh, welcome to all listeners on Chai FM. I'm Rebetzin Adol Kazilski and we're back to learning Torah together. Hope everybody had a wonderful Pesach, a good rest. There were many public holidays interspersed as well. I know I was all over the place and couldn't be with you, but now I'm back in the pound seat and we are going to be spending the next three quarters of an hour learning Torah together. And um, I'm inviting you to join me on that journey. If you ever would like to make a comment, you've got a question on what it is that we are learning, because Torah is timeless. Torah has got many, many applications to today's time, besides the the fascination and the interesting idea behind the stories we are learning. Please be my guest. 34519 is our SMS line, 061-895-1019, our telegram number. Just before Pesach, we finished up. Our parasha, and we are starting a new one. We are starting a new chapter of Genesis. We're on chapter 41. Believe it or not, you and I have learned 41, 40 chapters of Genesis. We're now on chapter 41. It is the beginning of the parasha of Miketz. And I was just looking that Miketz is exactly one parasha, one parasha, um, no, actually, three chapters, three chapters long. This is 41, 40, uh, chapters 41, 42, 43, and a little bit into 44. And we are really going to be looking and continuing on the story of Joseph and what happened to him consequent to his incarceration in Egypt. As we know, as a quick pricey and a reminder. Um, if you are new, you'll know where we're at. We are studying the 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 book of Genesis, and we are at the point where Joseph has been incarcerated by Potiphar because of the alleged um, misconduct of um, him and his wife, even though all of that was not true. And he stays in jail, and um, he interprets the dreams of the butler and the butcher that come through, and even though he asked the butler to to, um, remember him, we, are know, we know that he stayed an extra two years because he reminded the butler twice and he didn't trust on God entirely. Anyway, he languishes in prison. So now we know um, we're actually coming, so to speak, to the climax of Joseph's story because also we know he was sold four times. He has spent 12 years in prison. And suddenly from the ashes, from the bottom of the barrel, He is now going to rise and become the viceroy of all Egypt. To join me, if you are sitting at home, you may open up a Bible, chapter 41, verse 1. We're going to look inside. And it was two years that passed. Yamim, to the day. Uparo chaylem vihinei omed al hayor. Paro had a dream, and behold, he was standing on the banks of the Nile. Now, um, this two years that the Torah is talking about is, in fact, the two years from the time that the butler 
um, was released from prison. And it says two years to the day. Okay. Um, so the one, one thing is that we are told the reason for this description is that although Joseph remained in prison for an additional two years, to him they seemed like a single day, day because saints, Sadikim, accept suffering gladly. Um, and as a result, Joseph's piety was recalled on high. We also know, as I've just mentioned, that he spent that additional two years because he asked the butler twice to remember him when he came out, and that showed a lack of trust, trust in God. So um, there was both both sides, a punishment and the fact that it went by for Joseph. He accepted what it is that was due to him. Now, Pharaoh has a dream in which he's standing on the banks of the Nile, and the Torah says, Uparo choilem, Paro had a dream, as if no one else has a dream at night. It's like such a funny thing. Like, why do you have to say he like dreamt a dream? Okay. And the reason why they're saying that is because Pharaoh's dream was indeed unique, right? Because when a common person dreams, he basically dreams about things that happen during the day. It's a mushmash of his daytime thoughts. And if anything, it is a, a reflection of anything to do with his destiny. But when somebody in a position of power, such as Paro has a dream, then his dream is that it was, it had effects of the destiny of the entire civilized world, because his word could influence matters far and wide. And so just as Pharaoh's status was, un, was unique, so too were his dreams. Now, what's interesting is that there is a, conjunct, a conjunction here, the word and, and Pharaoh dreamed. And means that somebody other than Pharaoh had the same dream. And who was it? It was none other than Joseph. Just like we said, um, when it came to the dreams of the butler and the butcher, that Joseph had, um, knew the dreams and knew the, 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 the interpretations. And that is why he was able to interpret properly. Okay, he understood it. Right now, Joseph as well had the dreams of Paro. And you'll see as we go through the verses that, in fact, um, that it, it, it stood him in good stead because he knew exactly what he was talking about. And that was the very reason why Pharaoh chooses his interpretation. But let's go through verses 2 to 7 now and just read them inside so we can understand what it is that he was dreaming. Vehine, and behold, min hayor from the Nile, olot sheva parot yefot mar'e. Seven good-looking, healthy cows, ubriotabasa, they were healthy in flesh, came out um, came out from the river, Batir Ena Baachu, and they were grazing in the reed grass. Vihine, Sheva Parot Acherot, Olot Acharehin Minhayor, and after them, seven other cows came up from the Nile. Raot Mare, they were bad looking, Vedakot Basar, and they were, had very lean, fresh, Vetaam. They came and they stood next to the cows, these fat cows, 
that were already by the banks of the Nile. Vetochalna haparot raot hamare vedakot habasar echeva haparot yefot hamare vehabriot vayikats parot. Now these bad-looking, lean-fleshed clouds then ate the seven good-looking, healthy cows, and then Paro woke up from that dream. Vayishan, then he fell asleep again. Vayachalom sheinit, he dreams a second dream. Vehinei, sheva shibolem olot bekane echad, briot v'tovot. He sees seven ears of corn, of grain, healthy and good, and they were all growing on one stalk. Vihine sheva shibolem takot, ushfudot, kadem, somchot, acharehen. And behold, he found seven ears of grain that grew after them. They thin and they are scorched by the east wind. Vativlana hashibolem hadakot et sheva hashibolem habriot. Then the seven thin ears of, of, of wheat, of, of, uh, of, um, of corn, swallowed up the seven healthy full ears. And then what happens? Paro, Paro wakes up, and he recognizes that it was a dream. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Now, what's very interesting is that um, if you look at the verses, you will see that when it came to the ears of corn, um, the thin ears of corn didn't literally swallow the healthy ones. That would have been impossible. Read very, very carefully. It says that the vativlana hashibolem hadakot etsheva hashibolem habrios, that the seven ears of corn grew after them, thin and scorched, and they swallowed up the seven healthy ears, which means that when it's talking about swallowing up, it doesn't mean that it it, it, it bit it and ate it, but rather that they grew over the healthy ears of corn, covering them completely. Um, because we need to, in a dream, things have to be realistic. And the Midrash goes and says, for example, you will not see an elephant crawl through the eye of a needle. So what happens? Paro wakes up. And he remains in bed waiting for a third dream. When he saw that he didn't dream anymore, he realized that both visions were a single dream. That's why it is only after the second description that it says, paro, paro wakes up and it is indeed a dream. It didn't say that after the first time. The first time it says, paro, that Paro wakes up. So kind of like wakes up and then by Yishan, he falls back asleep again. But when he wakes up the second time, it says that it is a dream. And so then he realizes that both visions were a single dream. They were all part of one dream. Now he needed to know the, the meaning. And it also the Midrash goes and tells us that the dream was so vivid that he thought it was real. He actually thought that he was wide awake on the banks of the Nile and he was watching the cows and the ears of grain. And only after he woke up did he realize 
that he was dreaming. It was an exceedingly vivid dream. It was in the morning. His mood was very, very agitated. He calls all the wizards, all the nomancruses of Egypt, as well as all his wise men. Paro tells them his dream. And they had no way of interpreting for Paroi. Um, now, Paroi, why could they not interpret the dreams? What was wrong with his wizards, with his necromancers, with his magicians? What was wrong with them? They were guiding him all the time and all sorts of things. And we know that the Egyptians were steeped in, 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 in magic and in, in, in all sorts of things. So the reason was that every single person came up with a different explanation. The Midrash tells us one said the seven good cows were the seven daughters you will have, and the seven bad cows are the seven daughters you will bury. Others said the seven ears of corn were the seven kingdoms you will conquer, and the seven bad ones are the seven states that will rebel against you. What was interesting, says the Midrash, is that when Pharaoh had dreamt the dreams, he had also dreamt the interpretations. Um, and while he remembered the dream vividly, the interpretation had slipped his mind. Um, and so when he kept on hearing the interpretations from his so-called wise men, he, it didn't ring a bell. It didn't ring a bell. So he kept on rejecting their interpretations. Others say, other opinions hold that they were dumbfounded, they were unable to provide Pharaoh at all with any interpretation because God had made them lose their wisdom so that uh, Joseph would be elevated when he gives his interpretation. Now, Pharaoh was quite a, um, quite a hectic guy to deal with. He was, he was quite moody and he became very angry at his surveillance and at his astrologers for not being able to give him a satis satisfactory interpretation, and he said he was going to sentence them all to death. Okay, and this is why, this was the impetus as to why now the butler speaks up. Like, why did the butler not say anything before? Right now is when the butler realizes that if he doesn't do anything, he himself might be out of a job, either that Paro will put him to death along with all the other members of the household or that Paroi will go crazy and somebody else will come in and he'll lose his job as well. So he comes from a very selfish point of view, but now he steps forward. Let's look in verse 9. The chief wine stewardess says to Paro, saying, Et chata'ai ani maskir hayon. I remember my misdeeds today. Paro katsev et al avadav. Paro got very angry with his servants. Vayiten oti b'mishmar beit sar ha tabachim oti beit sar haofim. And when you went, got mad at me, he said, you placed me under arrest in the house of the chief butcher, me and the chief baker. You incarcerated both of us. The Nachalma Chalom Balaila Echad Ani Vahu 
איש כפתרון חלמו חלמנו. And each of us, both me and the baker, had a dream according, um, on the same night, both he and I, um, and we, we, we each also dreamt an interpretation. ושם איתנו נער עברי, and in the prison with us was a Hebrew lad, עבד לשר הטבחים, he was a servant to the chief butcher, ונספר לו, we told him our dreams. ויתר לנו את חלומותינו, he interpreted our dreams, איש כלחלומו פתר, he actually interpreted according to his dream, meaning we, we had a sense of what the interpretation should be, and he interpreted likewise. By he, and it was, kashe patar lanu, the way he interpreted it, kain haya oti, so it was with me, heshiv al kani, I came back to my station, ve'ototala, and the, the chief baker was hung. Exactly the way that Yosef had interpreted it. Now, you will see that when the butler is talking about Joseph, he's being very belittling of him. He says in the dungeon there was a Hebrew boy, meaning what he was trying to insinuate here was that he was nothing but a irresponsible teenager who would not know what to do with any authority. Then he calls him a Hebrew, a Hebrew boy. Because he was being, he was basically saying, you know how we feel about Hebrews. He's a foreigner. He can't speak our language properly. He was a slave. And he's certainly not one who should be given status or position. So whilst he was offering his advice to uh, Paroi, he was trying to ensure that Yosef remained as lowly as possible. That he was like just basically a good for nothing. Um, and then even when he was interpreting the dream, he added, says the Midrash, that he didn't speak well, that he had a strong accent, he mixed up words. Um, like, do you really want him? Paroi understood that the butler was playing some type of shenanigan with him. And he saw through this deprecation. And he said, send Joseph, let me decide for myself. Verse 14 by Yishlach Paros, so Paros sent word, demanded that he be brought from prison. By Yikrai et Yosef, they called, they summoned for Yosef. By Yeritsuhu mina boor, they made him come out of the pit, run out of the pit. That means they did it very quickly. By Yigalach, and so he shaved. By Yechalef, Smlotav, he changed his clothes. By Yavo el Paro, he came to Pharaoh. Now, there's a very interesting idea over here that we learn. Firstly, Joseph left the dungeon on a very auspicious day. He left the dungeon on Rosh Hashanah. It happened to be the first of Tishrei in the year 2230. That's according to the Jewish calendar. If you want to know what it was um, in the uh, in, uh, Gregorian calendar, it was September the 24th. 1532 before the common era right now it was Rosh Hashanah and we know that in Rosh Hashanah Rosh Hashanah is like Shabbat you cannot 
um, cut your hair, you cannot shave. Um, so the question is, why did Joseph do that? Well, there's two parts to that. The first is that um, whilst it is forbidden to shave or cut one's hair on Rosh Hashanah, Joseph did it out of respect of Pharaoh. Because if a person shows disrespect towards a king, he can be put to death. He certainly could not appear before Pharaoh disheveled and unshaven, and now was not a place for unnecessary strictness, and besides which the Torah had not been given yet, um, so it was actually permissible. Now, what do we learn from this? We learn from this that, number one, when one meets an important person, one needs to dress well, and one must be respectful. Otherwise, it is a sign of disrespect because we know when a person dresses well, his words command attention. If you come sloppily, people aren't really going to pay attention to you. But there is a deeper lesson here, and that is, well, if Yosef did this in order to, um, to, to face the king, a mortal king, then certainly when one is speaking to God, who is the divine king, one needs to be dressed appropriately. So there is a lot of halakha about what one should be wearing when praying. Okay, what happens when one is particularly in private conversation with the king of kings, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God himself, um, certainly in the times of, for example, the Amidah, where we are on a one-to-one -one conversation with God, we need to be fully dressed. And we must understand that it is as if we are standing um, before a, 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 a mortal king. So um, there is this idea, and it is something that, 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 that um, has repercussions on um, coming into a synagogue and making sure one is appropriately dressed. Sometimes we unfortunately do get a bit of pushback when um, our rabbis are insisting that people come appropriately dressed to shul, and that is because of this. If this is how we are going to behave before a mortal king, how much more so is it that one must ensure that we come appropriately dressed into the synagogue? It is gross disrespect to come in um, unkempt or not dressed properly. And it goes further that even if one is sitting in, in, in one's own personal house, if one is going to get up and pray, one needs to be appropriately dressed. So now Joseph is standing before Paro, and Paro says to Yosef, this is verse 15 of chapter 41, I have dreamt a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. And I've heard about you, the following, that if you hear a dream, you have the ability to interpret it. Yosef answers Paro saying, it is the it's a power outside of myself. It is God surely who will respond to Pharaoh's welfare. 
So straight away, you can see that Yosef was a humble tzaddik. He was a saint. And he openly told Paro that his ability was none other than a gift from God, that he himself could not take any credit. It was not from his power. Only God can make a dream come true. And we spoke a lot about dreams um, previously. If you missed that, then please um, avail yourself of the podcasts and you will be able to understand more about dreams. Right, we've got a couple of minutes before we go to a break. So let's see what Paroi now says to Yosef. We are in verse 17. So he says to Yosef, In my dream, I was standing by the banks of the Nile, and from the Nile, they rose from the Nile cows. They were healthy in flesh. They were nicely formed, and they were grazing in the reed grass. Then seven um, other cows came up. Afterwards, raot adalot veraot toar meod verakot basar. They were very, they were poor, they were very badly formed with emaciated flesh. I have never seen such bad cows in the whole land of Egypt. And the emaciated bad cows ate the seven first cows, which were healthy. Kirbena, the Lonoda, Kibau el Kirbena, Umaren, Rak, Asher, Batchila, the Ikats. They came inside, meaning the bad, they came inside the bad cows, but one could not tell that they had come inside of them. Their appearance was as bad as it was at first. He has an explanation of Paro himself where he's saying that the, the bad cows ate the good cows and you could not see that they, they, they were full now, that they had eaten healthy cows. And then, and then I woke up. Then he says, And then I see again in my dream, And behold, olot echad I then saw um, seven ears of grain, full and good, that were growing on the stalk. And then behold, there were seven ears of grain, shriveled, thin, and scorched by the east wind. They grew up after them. The Seven thin ears swallowed up the seven good ones. Well, Omar al-Hartumim, and I have tried to speak to my wizards, the Ain Magid Lee. They cannot give me an explanation. So now you see over here that Pharaoh was Pharaoh's description of his dreams was different from the Torah's description of the dream. And this is because Pharaoh was trying to deliberately change the dream to confuse Yosef. 
But it's, we are told in the Midrash that as he spoke, Yosef interrupted him and said, that's not what you dreamt, and corrected him. And finally, Pharaoh says, is the Midrash, that he turned around to Yosef and said, were you eavesdropping on my dreams? Remember that Joseph had the same dreams and the interpretations as Pharaoh. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, so now we've got to go look at the interpretation of Joseph. Now we're looking at verse 25. Yosef says to Paro, Chalom Paroi Echad Hu. The dream of Paroi is one idea. Et Asher HaElokim Leparo. It is one idea, and God is telling Paro what he is about to do. Meaning, what he was saying was, listen, your magicians, your savants are walking in the darkness because they are not able to tell you the true meaning. Why? Because they were giving different interpretations. The seven cow, fat cows were seven daughters that would live. Seven other cows were daughters that would die. The seven ears of corn were, were countries that you're going to conquer. The seven, one, seven ears of corn were, were not. Like, there wasn't a consistency. And here is the difference of what Yosef says to, um, to the other savants, to the other um, magicians, is that this is one idea. It's not different in terms of everything, every single thing meant a different thing. Um, now, one of the things that we need to know is that God allows um, the world to run, to run, the non-Jewish world, to run through his angelic agents, except for four things. Now, I'm going to qualify what I'm saying. So the world is run through angelic forces across the world. There are four things that God holds the key to. And then for a Jew, a Jew has the ability to go above his destiny, as we described and spoke a lot about when it comes to Avraham Avinu, to Avraham, who went beyond the stars. He couldn't have children. Okay, according to his destiny, but he was able to change his destiny. Now, what are the four things that God holds the key for, so to speak? One is rain. The other is parnasa, your livelihood, resurrection, and childbirth. God holds these keys in his own hand. So through this dream, what God was telling Paro was what he was about to do, what God was about to do. So um, really what Yosef was saying to him was that no one but God can accomplish what I'm about to tell you. Now let's just take a step back and just discuss these four keys and to understand their application, okay? Because we think um, primarily a lot, we are responsible for our livelihood, we are responsible for childbirth. And in truth, Neither of them are true, okay? Um, let's just discuss livelihood because I think that this is something that if everybody had this attitude, then there wouldn't be such greed or such a shenanigans, all the shenanigans that go on in the world of business if we actually understood that on the night of Rosh Hashanah, we get a, a, uh, an amount of livelihood that will be destined for the year 
and um, no, nothing that we do will increase it or decrease it. It does not mean that we must do nothing because God is going to give it to us. We have to create the vessel through which that allocation happens. But on a much deeper level, that which is due to us is due to us. Now, can you imagine if every businessman walked around doing that? And there are many, many stories told of people who do things untoward, not not in accordance with law because they think they're going to be schneid or, or, or they think that if they do it in such a way, they can be more clever and make more money. The bottom line, if it's due to you, you will get it. If it's not due to you, you won't get it. So um, we need to understand that about livelihood. We need to um, make that as part of our practical application that, we yes, we do have to come to work at eight. We have to finish at five. We have to do what we have to do. Shabbat is an example of giving it over to God. Many people will say, I can't keep Shabbos because my shop is open, my restaurant is open, whatever it is that you're doing, and I will lose money. But the way of the universe is, is that whatever work you do on Shabbat, on Yamim Toivim, if you do unfortunately choose to do such a thing, that money will be lost. How will it be lost? You will have other expenses, unforeseen expenses that will come your way, that will take away. And the vice versa is also true. When we go and spend money on Shabbat, on the Yamim Toivim, that money is never lost and taken away from what we earn, but we are given money um, uh, over and above that. We are, we are recompensated um, in, in, a, in, a, in a very, very broad way. And the same thing applies when it comes to childbirth. Um, whilst we know that uh, we have to do what we have to do, and if we are struggling to have children, we need to seek out medical advice. But there are many, many, many stories where people have seeked out the best of the best and have gone through torturous, a torturous time struggling to fall pregnant. At the end of the day, the key to childbirth and to having children is in the hands of God. And when God deems that um, that you will have a child, miraculously you will have that child. And if not, it is also in the hands of God. Um, and these are like really two areas that you know, we try as human beings to control so much. And in truth, in truth, we are not in control of anything. But if there's any two places that we can readjust our expectations or um, place our hope in the correct place. It is in the area of panosa, of livelihood, and in the area of giving birth. So this is what um, the, the preface that Joseph gives to Paro. And he says the following, Sheva Paro tatovot, Sheva shanim heina. The seven good cows are seven years. The sheva hashibolem hatavot, sheva shanim, are also the seven um, ears of corn, and the good ones are also seven years. Hinei halom echadhu. They are one and the same thing. It's one dream. So you seven good cows, and your seven ears of corn, same thing. They mean seven years. Sheva shanim heina. 
ושבע שיבולים הריקוס שדופים הקדים יהיו שבע שני רעב. And the seven emaciated bad cows who come up after them are seven years. The seven empty wind scorched ears of corn will be seven years of famine. Who hadava ashe dibati el paro? Asher ha'elokim ose here et paro. It is the word that I've spoken to Paro that God has shown Paro what he is about to do. So Yosef is, 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 is emphasizing again that um, this is what God is wanting. That the next seven years are going to be a, a years of surplus. There's going to be a surplus of food in the land of Egypt, um, and immediately afterwards, there will be seven years of famine. They will forget the plentifulness in the land of Egypt. The famine will ravish the land. Because the famine will be so bad, people will completely forget about the famine, he covered who meod this this famine. It will be very difficult afterwards. And the reason why you had the same dream twice, it's because that's what God is already doing. God is rushing to do this. Like this is happening now. If you ask me, when are the seven years of plenty starting? It's happening now. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. So what we see from over here is that Joseph's interpretation was exact to the point he saw that once the thin cows and the thin ears of corn ate the fat cows and the fat ears of corn, and they did not expand. They did not look healthy because they had swallowed stuff that was healthy. That was very, very indicative that not only when the famine came, there would be no trace of the surplus and that people would even forget there ever would be years of surplus. And so that was one thing. The other thing is to un to understand that um, uh that the famine would in fact hit the entire world. So what was going to happen was that Egypt was going to be early, early Egypt was going to enjoy seven years of surplus, but when the famine hit, it would hit the entire world. And how did he know it was consecutive? Because when he saw the seven ears of corn, they were on one stalk. And then because one ear overlapped the other, it meant that the first seven years would overlap the other and basically the bottom line was Paro understood that because somewhere in his subconscious he had already heard that interpretation so there you have it the beginning of Pharaoh's dreams and Joseph's interpretation and we're going to leave it at that um, and hopefully please God next week we will be back and we will follow up now how Pharaoh reacts to it all. So let me wish you a wonderful week ahead. May everyone remain healthy and warm since winter has come upon us. And uh, I'll be back next time, next place, in the same place next week.